So the question in the, in the movie clip was asked, what position do you play? And it, it ties into uh, a question that Peter McClellan, my good Scottish friend, asked last week. And it was basically, how do you discern what God's... I don't know why that's up there. That's the wrong slide. There we go. Hey, he asked this question, what does it mean to follow God's plan? And, uh, you know, how do you, how do you figure out what part you play on the team? How, does, is, it, is it purely talent-based? Uh, does it have to do with somebody else choosing your position for you? How do you, how do you figure out what path you go down in life? And, and so because uh, my Scottish friend asked the question, I found a good Scottish path illustration. But uh, today we're talking about three C's, and we're going to add one or two C's along the way. But just how to, how to figure out what path to go down in life. And we're we're walking step by step through the, the letter to the Ephesians from the New Testament, and we've arrived at chapter 4. And initially, I, I plan out my preaching schedule about nine months in advance, and I had planned out six weeks for the, the book of Ephesians, one per day, or you know, six days, six chapters. And we're six, six weeks in, and I'm on chapter 4, and so we're not going to make it to the end in the time allotted. We may pick it up again next year, but the passage that we're about to dive into says a whole lot about how to figure out what path to go down in life. Uh, How do do you know that you're on the right team in the right position? And so last week we talked about the end of chapter 3 where it says um, Paul is praying for his friends and he says he may strengthen you with power in your inner being. So God wants to do an internal work in you, not an external work. And the internal work causes external results. And it says so that Christ may dwell in your heart, and it says his power that is work at work within us. So, it's, so in chapter 3, he paints this picture of God wanting to be in you, doing something internal in you. And what happens is what, what is internal in you always comes out. So it's, it's one thing to pray to be patient, for example. And you can, you can, in certain circumstances, do things that require patience but that doesn't necessarily make you a patient individual. You can be just really working hard to be patient. So when we talk about the gospel of Jesus, we're talking about him coming in and making you patient so that acts of patience are easy. Making you merciful so acts of mercy come easy. It's an internal work that God does in you. And then chapter 4 continues, and I'm going to read the passage and then we'll, we'll go back into it. So chapter 4 continues like this. Paul says, I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord... Urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. So let's back up and, and pull some, some things out of this. So he says, he says, I urge you to walk in a manner. So he's gone from talking about an internal work, something inside that happens to you, to it becoming external. So Christ in you is what you see through this whole passage over and over, is in him, in him, in him. So once God is in you, it affects how you act. It affects how you go about your day. It affects how you spend your time. It affects... Your conversations, it affects where you spend your money. And he says, I'm asking you to make that internal thing now external. And this whole, pa- this whole chapter is about what that tends to look like. And so he says, I want you to walk in a manner w- w- worthy of the calling you've received. And then, he s- and then he starts hitting some characteristics. He says, humility, 
gentleness, and patience. And so the first C of trying to figure out what path you're supposed to be on in life. So he's talking about what you do, what does the internal effect cause in you, and he starts talking about your character. He starts talking about the way that you are and the way you act towards people. And so the first one, and for whatever reason, oh, my, my slide's messed up there, but for whatever reason, when I, when I read this passage where it says gentleness and patience and humility, I try to, what it, it, it sounds like soft to me, easy to touch, not, not abrasive and angry and harsh, but something softer and gentler. And I thought of a feather, and that's why there's a picture of a feather up there, but it, if, if it comes down to what our character is supposed to be like when it comes to conflict, which we'll talk about in just a moment, when it comes to how we deal with other people, anger rising up in you, being offended, being harsh, attacking, doesn't seem consistent with the character of Jesus. That There's this softness. There's a, there's a movie clip from the movie Gladiator where uh, Joaquin Phoenix character, um, Commodus, is sitting, and he, if you've seen it, he's sitting in front of the Senate, and he's spinning a sword on the ground. It's jing, 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 as he's spinning it around. And the Senate is trying to get him to take action. And they ask him, what is his plan? And he says about the Romans, he says, I'll show them they are loved. I shall hold them to my bosom and embrace them. And Gracchus, one of the senators, says to him, have you ever embraced someone dying of plague, sire? And Commodus ret returns to him. He says, no, but if you interrupt me again, I assure you that you shall. So he, he rises up kind of harshly. He's, he's not like a feather at all when Gracchus is speaking to him. But then his sister chimes in, and his sister says, Senator, my brother is very tired. Leave the list with me. Your emperor will do all that Rome requires. And Gracchus says to her, my lady, as always, your lightest touch commands obedience. There's a difference between commanding obedience and demanding obedience. And, and it's, a, it's an important difference when we talk about conflict resolution and how we treat other people. Demanding obedience or demanding friendship or demanding anything is saying, you will do this based on what I say. You must do this. It's an arrogance and it's abrasive. But to command respect or to command leadership is to, by, your, by someone's own volition, to see that you are worthy of being followed, that you are worthy of their attention, you are worthy of obedience. And so you want to command as a leader, command respect, not demand respect. And I think that's part of what Jesus is, or what Paul is getting at in this passage is that it's a, it's a powerful thing to lay down the abrasion, to lay down the anger, to lay down the vitriol and become soft in these situations. And I was, I was in court one time. I was observing a court case between a landlord and a tenant. And uh, if, you, if you're soft... When it comes to conflict and when it comes to your relationships with other people, better things happen. There's, there's a passage, and I think, I think I've got it on one of these slides here in a second. There it is. A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. When you're soft towards people, when you're patient, gentle, and humble, good things happen. When you're angry and abrasive, it tends to push the conversation in a direction you don't even want it to go. So in this particular court case, it was a landlord and a tenant, and the tenant had been back on rent for several months and had had pets in, in, in the, the rental property that, that, that they were not supposed to have pets. And so the landlord uh, was making a case that they should have been basically trying to collect back rent and get them out of there. And the landlord was soft-spoken and came prepared with his documents and just stated his case. Called, called the judge your honor, and was respectful. And the tenant was abrasive and angry, and the tenant's mother, who was in 
the, the observation deck started yelling at the landlord because what it, well, it's, it's pretty amusing, sort of. The, the tenant had left a cat in the property for like a week unattended. Um, so the cat apparently had been drinking out of the toilet and was on its last leg, but as you can imagine, the, the property was, was pretty trashed. And the landlord brought this up and, if I remember right, had pictures. And the, the, woman, the, the tenant's mother stood up in court and said, she would never do that. She's not like, she's a good girl, and started yelling. And she wasn't even supposed to be speaking at all. And I, I, my impression was that this sat poorly on the tenant's case. I, didn't, I, don't, I don't think the judge gave favor to the tenant as a result of the mom jumping up and yelling. Uh, and, and in the end, you know, obviously the judge favored the law, and the law favored the, the landlord at that time. But if, if you're just sitting there listening to two arguments, let's say, let's say you go to a debate, and you're debating creation versus evolution, for example. And the evolutionist is soft-spoken and nice, or vice versa, the creationist, because now some of you are getting your hackles all raised. The creationist is soft-spoken and nice. Some, one of them is soft-spoken and nice and friendly and presents their case. And the other is angry and makes ad hominem attacks and attacks the, attacks the person and spews vitriol. You're probably not even going to be able to hear their case very well. That's what you're going to see. And so in this passage, what Paul is saying is we've got a conflict here. Remember we were talking a couple weeks ago about how the Jews hated the Gentiles? I mean, they hated each other. Like you think we have racial divides in this country. Now it was nothing compared to what the, the, the Gentiles and the Jews had in those days. They hated each other. But what Paul is saying now is let's transition from God wants to do an inside work in you, God wants to do something in you, to now let's, what it looks like on the outside. And the first things he talks about are patience, gentleness, humility. He talks about your character. So the first C of trying to figure out what this life looks like has to do with internal change and softness. Jesus said this in the Sermon on the Mount, the most famous sermon of all time, blessed are the peacemakers for they shall be called sons of God. So the first C is character. The second C, he goes into, he says, there's one body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God. Does anybody see a word repeated here over and over? So he's talking about people that are divided. There's this divide. It's a religious and racial divide in our society. And he says, you need to change your character to gentleness, patience, humility, and now we need to focus. He brings it down to one, one thing, one God, one church, one faith. Get away from all the peripherals and focus on one thing. So the second C is captivation. I'm not even sure if that's a word, but I'm rolling with it. I've got a son now who is a year and a half old, and he has, <laughs> Chris Duke, you were with me a couple weeks ago, our dishwasher stopped working, and it was flooded about this deep, and so Chris and I, Chris the good friend that he is, we both got in there with towels and sopped it up and squeezed it into a bucket and sopped it up and squeezed it into a bucket, and then we got, through, got the right tools out and took, disassembled the entire dishwasher, and that didn't work, so I pulled the dishwasher out behind, and I was looking at all the drainage lines and getting up in the sink and the drainage lines that run there, and just took the whole thing apart and coming up empty, and, and uh, afterwards, after Chris was already gone, realized that the reason it hadn't emptied is because my one-and-a-half-year-old son had hit the pause button halfway through the cycle. You know, just these wonderful moments. 
And my son is captivated with our dishwasher. I mean, that thing, he, if it starts up, he runs to it and he wants to hit the buttons that are going. And here's what he's doing now. My wife just told me this week. He pauses it and waits. And then when Kara comes over and restarts the cycle and it fires up, there's water that you start hearing, he goes, <gasps> and he gets super excited. And that's, that's kind of why I have this picture here. Kids at a parade are captivated. It's, there's something in front of you that makes you go, <gasps> and that's what Paul is saying. He's saying, forget all this other peripheral stuff. Forget all these side issues and forget the racial divide and focus. There's a God that came for you, and it's worth going, <gasps> about. And when you're, when you're trapped in that captivation of who God is, when you've got, when you've got that, cap, that second C in your life, things start to change for you. It's an ex external things start to happen. In Mark, it says this, the most important. So somebody asked Jesus, what's the greatest law? He says, it's this. It's the Shema of Israel. It's, it's, the, it's the prayer that every good Jew knew how to pray. That's what, that's what Jesus repeats to them. The most important command is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and all your strength. I heard this quote recently. It says, when you delight yourself in the Lord, his word and his ways become the focus and foundation of your life. So you could almost say that captivation is, is, you could describe it as undistracted. So the difference between these kids and this kid, I'm suspecting just even in their behavior following these pictures, if you take the behavior of these kids following and the behavior of this kid, I'm just, I'm just guessing that what happens internally is more beautiful in these kids. To be undistracted, to be captivated, uh, to have your attention focused in one place, that is a huge part to walking this path that God has for you. You can't be scattered all over the place. You can't, you can't be focused on, on media all the time or focused on your hobby all the time or focused on climbing the corporate ladder or what it, whatever it is that becomes an idol to you, that becomes the focus of your attention. That's taking attention away from what you ought to be captivated with. And being captivated is a huge part of walking this path. And then, then Paul goes on. So in this same passage, he says, humility, gentleness, and patience. And then he says, bearing with one another in love. So patience, to be patient with someone, requires, uh, somebody says, uh, one is a servant who only stands and waits. Uh, and so to be patient with someone requires some behavior on their part that you're having to hold yourself back because of. When he says bear with one another, you notice he does not say agree with one another. He doesn't say you've got you to work hard to, to make sure everybody thinks the same thing, that everybody worships the same way. This was a huge part of this schism between the Gentile Christians and the Jewish Christians is how do we worship? What do we do? Do we have to be circumcised or not circumcised, which is kind of a big deal, right? Can I eat pork or do I have to leave the bacon alone? Also kind of a big deal, right? So they're asking this question of how do we worship? And there's two sects, there's two camps, and they're arguing about it. And he says, bear with one another. He doesn't say figure it out. He says, focus on the one thing. Focus on what you should be captivated with, the God who came to earth as a man. And then he says, eager 
to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Again, we're talking about peace requires two sides coming together. He's not saying you have to agree on everything, but you should be eager to have peace between those of you who have disagreements. He continues. He says, there's one body. And when he refers to the body, he's talking about the church, ecclesia. He's talking about the people of God. So he's saying, here's the Jews over here that say you shouldn't eat pork. And here's the Gentiles over here that say bacon is just fine. Here's the Jews that are saying you need to be circumcised. Here's the Gentiles that are saying no way, no how, it ain't going to happen. And he's saying there's one body. So there must be something in between that overarches and overrides all of that. So captivation is a huge part of going, going down the path it has for you. But the second is community. I mean the third. So there's community there's relationship, there's family between the body of Christ. He continues in this long passage, and I'm going to fly through it. Grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. So he's talking about diversity here, diversity in, in the church. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men as individuals. In saying he ascended, what does it mean? But that he had also descended into the lower regions, the earth. He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. This is a long way of saying God came to earth. He continues. And he gave the apostles, so those were the original people that Jesus called to follow him while he was on the earth. The prophets, those are the people who speak on God's behalf. The evangelists, those are light bringers. They're people who go out and spread the message of Jesus. The shepherds, which is in most translations uh, how they translate as pastors, it's pastoral. You're, you're watching over the flock, which I hate the words shepherds and flock nowadays, but hey, people use them. And teachers. Now, I, I wear the title pastor around here, but I'm not a pastor. I'm not pastor. I would put myself more in the teacher category with the occasional prophet category, but to even say that is like, well, man, aren't you hoity-toity, okay? So nix the prophet thing. I'll roll with teacher, um, but don't call me teacher H because that just sounds weird. So it says that these people have been given to equip the saints for the work of ministry. That's the job of the prophets, the apostles, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers, is to help the people do ministry. That's the job that leaders have. And it says it's for building up the body of Christ, ecclesia, the church, until we all attain unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, which means the, the literal translation is, is more like mankindhood, so it applies to guys and ladies alike. It says, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. In other words, if we all work together and we learn, we won't be tricked. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up. There you go. That's something you don't hear people say to one another very often. Grow up. We're to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each, path, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. So here's my third, word, word, word of the, my third C of the day and a buddy of mine, and it's cooperation. And, and the other C, the plus one or two, man, I'm sorry. I'm sorry to do that to you. The plus one or two is... Community and cooperation kind of go hand in hand. So he goes from um, captivation, seeing there is one God, to all of us together being captivated as a family. 
And I, I used Jordan because Jordan and I had, had lunch this week, and he was, ask, he was asking kind of the same question Peter did, is how do you know the path? Uh, or, or more to the point, this sense that I'm not where I'm supposed to be. And we all have that in a certain way. But when I look at Jordan's life, I see the three C's. I see that he has character. There's a softness and a gentleness to Jordan that I think is beautiful and fantastic. Uh, I see that he's captivated with Jesus and that he's, he's given his life to Jesus. And then I see that he is working cooperatively in community. There's, there's no one here probably at the church that would be more likely to say yes if there was a need. You, you, you take Jordan Mitchell and you call him up and say, man, the sewage line at the theater broke and somebody needs to go mop up the bathrooms before service Sunday. He's, he's the, I'm, I'm sorry to the rest of you, he's the first guy I think of. He's the guy that if I say that needs to be done, he'll say, where's the mop? Where's the bucket? He's generous towards the church. He's generous with his time. He's generous in his friendships. Uh, and so now, is he a pastor or prophet or apostle or a teacher? In a sense, maybe a couple of those might apply a little bit, but no, not in general. And that's, that's where we mess up when it comes to trying to figure out the path is we, we focus on what we do instead of who we are and what we're focused on. And that's what Paul is saying in this passage. Is if you want to know that path, it's more about what you're looking at and how your character is being shaped than it is what you're doing. And it's all done in community. I, I, I heard this quote from my buddy Nate Collins this morning. He said, if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. 1 Corinthians 12 says this. It says, there is one body but many parts. And so the idea Paul is, is expressing here is that there's three C's. Um, actually, I'm expressing the three C's. I'm, I'm inserting that into what Paul is saying. But there's three C's to figuring out this path that you're supposed to go down in life. And it's, it's not even so much about the path or the journey or the destination. And he says it has to do with your character. Who, who are you? How are you being shaped as a person? What is your focus in life? Is Christ the center is he what you're infatuated with? Do you, do you sit around and wait for him to do something, and when he does, go, oh, and that's, that's what captivates your life? That's, that's part of the path that you're supposed to be walking down. And then the third is this idea of community, this idea of cooperation. So even, even as people dedicated to Jesus, we say things like, well, my path is to become a pastor, or my path is to become a campus minister or a, a, a speed the light advocate or whatever it is. We look at all these things that we're supposed to do. And I think Jesus would say more that there's this big thing that he's doing all over the world. And it's, it's more about, it's not about you figuring out who you are. It's, it's more about figuring out what piece do you play in that grand operation that he's performing now. And, and will be performing for the rest of history. And he closes the passage with this. Oh, that's the beginning of the passage. Oh, okay, I'm back. I'm back. I'm good. He says, I therefore, sometimes you guys wonder where I went, and I'm not even going to tell you. I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you, and I want you, to, I want you to look for a common word that was probably missed the first time we went through this passage. You may have picked up on it. But he says, walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, and, then, and he continues, you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. Anybody hap happen to see it? Yeah. It's, it, it, we, we did the song, Come Home, Come Home, this morning. Uh, what's, what's the title of the song? Softly and yeah, Softly and Tenderly. Uh, hey, that, 
fits in nicely. Softly and tenderly, Jesus is calling. And the indication is, in this passage, is that there's, there's some master of all. You see that in one Lord over all, one baptism, one God, one Christ, one body. That there is something unifying happening in the world. And this word called, that's, that's the word you're looking for when you say, what path should I go down? You're looking for that divine voice that is overarchingly looking at the world and knows what needs to be done and knows who you are and knows what your talents are and knows what your demeanor is and knows who your friends have been and what your experiences have been up, up till now. And he sees this grand mosaic that's being, that's being knit and he knows exactly where you belong. And so character, captivation, and community or cooperation all ties into what it means to be called. He's calling you. He's, he's, he says, Molly, you are mine. You're my beloved. He, say, he, says, he, says, he says that to all of you in the room. He says, you are special and you are designated. We talked earlier about that God loves you as an individual. And, and what he wants to do is shape who you are and how you are. He wants to reveal himself to you so that you're captivated and in reverence and awe. And then he wants to insert you in a community that you can cooperate with to accomplish his grand design on the earth. So if you're looking for the three C's, that's where it's at. If you're looking for the path, what you're looking for is a calling. And the calling can be described in those words. He closes the passage with this. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him. That's the goal. If you want to know the path, grow up into into him, who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint. We read this before. Then he says, when each part is working properly, that body grows. So it's each person, every, every pew sitter in here, even though we don't have pews, every butt in every seat in here, that butt was designed. Man, I'm getting way off track right now. I'm backing up. All of you, was, all of you as an individual was designed as a part in this grand mosaic that God's doing. And so the question would be, have you found that place? What part in the grand community of God are you filling in? And that is, in my opinion, the focus of where your attention ought to be.